This is, um, yeah. I don't really know where we start with this one, um, but we're here to talk about Planet of the Apes, folks. Planet of the Apes. The whole stinking franchise. Um, we're going to start with the first one, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I guess, um, to start, I'll just say, like, I, like, used to watch these movies all the time, like, when I was a kid. This would be, like, I would stay home sick from school and shit, and these would be the movies that I, like, I'd watch all five in a row. Um, so, like, these are movies that are, like, super important to me. Um, but, like, also, I kind of always came to them with, like, a child's brain or whatever, and it's only sort of this past viewing that I was really kind of analyzing and taking them in. Um, and... Yeah, like, as, as an adult, I feel like these movies are way... Like, it's crazy that I even watched these as a kid. Like, that these are all G-rated oh, kids. Yeah, movies yeah, yeah. is insane. Um, yeah, they're all G-rated except for Conquest, which is PG. Right, right If right. we're only talking about the first five, uh, I think the Tim Burton one might be PG-13, and the three after that are PG-13. Right. I feel Although like the last Tim one Burton's could even... PGs. Like, the last one's... So, like, maybe that one's even R. I don't know. Yeah. No, for sure. I was just um I was just making sure. Yes, uh Tim Burton's and the three that follow are all PG thirteen. So okay. that ref- that reflects a lot more a change in the MPAA's way of rating movies, because obviously the PG thirteen rating didn't even exist when the original five Planet of the Apes were made. Right. Um and you were either gonna get a G, a PG, or an R. So um But yeah, these were always I don't know if it would be correct to say they were always imagined as kids' movies, but they were always kind of formed as these family-friendly outings where you could bring your kids and, um, you know, as we saw Don Draper bring his son in Mad Men. Right, um, right. <laughs> that it was like a, a captivating experience for, for everyone. Um, and, yeah, like The Planet of the Apes, the first one, really it does deal with very heavy adult mature themes totally but i mean speaking speaking of of don draper bringing his son in Mad Men, like to talk about when planet of the apes came out is like the weekend after martin luther king got shot or like right at least right around that time it was like in theaters so like a huge amount of the audience was going and like having that you know as the background for kind of this whole conversation which i think makes everything sure. far more <clears throat> relevant and you know everything um Sure, and you have, like, Charlton Heston getting blasted by a fire hose. You know, there's, like, very clear imagery that invokes the civil rights movement and um, Watts riots in 65, uh, I believe is when they were. Mm -hmm. Um, And this stuff is even more prevalent in Conquest, but we'll get to that. Um, So, yeah, just, I mean, a little more background on Planet of the Apes. I guess it's, like... I guess it's pretty important to note 
that um, on this podcast, we like to talk about auteurs. We like to talk about visionaries and, um, you know, especially directors who, um, who have a very holistic vision of what they're trying to convey and that, like, the more you look into the artist's um, and their life, the more you kind of get out of the work itself. But I think in the case of Planet of the Apes, we really are um, talking about a movie that is a studio movie. It is a product of um, the classic Hollywood studio system, um, pretty much right at the turn of uh, the transformation from old Hollywood into new Hollywood. Um, this movie comes in 1968. It's the same year as 2001 A Space Odyssey. The late 60s and early 70s were a very pivotal time for American cinema, um, where a lot of risks and artistic um, um, license were, were given to creators. Um, but Planet of the Apes is more of a... It's more of a production, a producer's product, and that producer is Arthur P. Jacobs. Okay. He was a um he was basically a new producer uh I think in the like mid 60s I think during during the 60s he was um he started as an agent he was representing people like um Gregory Peck and uh Marilyn Monroe and he was even going to make a movie with Marilyn Monroe uh entitled What a way to but yeah, but she died. And so there, so Arthur, Arthur P. Jacobs, uh, his first film was called what a way to go. Okay. It was a, um, it was supposed to be a Marilyn Monroe vehicle, but it ended up being a Shirley MacLaine vehicle. Yeah. 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 Um, and it did pretty well in the box office. And, um, after that he made Dr. Doolittle with like Rex Harrison and whatever. Right. Um, right. so interestingly, which, uh, wasn't at, the, the Dr. Doolittle wasn't thing, as big of a success. One of the, one of the only anecdotes I remember, it was off of the um, Easy Rider DVD that when Easy Rider came out, there was some meeting of like the heads of the studios or something. Some 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 very important Hollywood guy came out and made some speech. I don't know if it was at the Academy Awards or something, but it was some public speech where he was like, we need more, like fewer movies like Easy Rider and more movies like Dr. Doolittle. <laughs> And I was kind of like, I remember, I remember them saying that on the Easy Rider DVD. And that's like, this is the hokey old style thing versus the new cool thing or whatever. Um, and that was yeah, totally yeah. representative of like the old style, like old Hollywood, like movies for the whole family mm -hmm. with like goofy bullshit and animals and whatnot. Um, sure. So he was making that type of Which movie. makes it even... Yeah, yeah. Which makes it even more interesting that he would like then go on to make Planet of the Apes, which was... Um, his third feature. Um, so it wasn't exactly um, an easy movie to get greenlit. Um, I think the original source material uh, by Pierre Boulle, um, La Planète des Songes, which was originally um, uh, translated as Monkey, Monkey Planet. It was a lot more crude. But, okay, okay. Um, became Planet of the Apes. So this was like, this was a, I think it was written in 1963 or published then. So it was relatively new and Arthur P. Jacobs bought the rights to it very shortly after it was released. Well, um, real quick. Saw a lot of sins. 1963 in France is like 1968 in America. 
like artistically and shit. Like, sure. it's like that's like oh, like you got like the whole like French New Wave thing and all that stuff happening. Like so, the idea that that book would be written at that time in that place is like that's that is the cutting edge that then comes to the United States at like the end of the '60s, and then you get like the new Hollywood and all that stuff. Like, but that, that's yeah, very yeah. interesting that it was like and a the- product of like that time in france and then it became a product of this time in america that are like the similar yeah yeah, yeah. that's cool <laughs> sure because as we know too cinema um kind of reflects that like you said the french new wave and all the sort of avant-garde experimental cinema that was happening um in europe in like uh, italy and france and uh even in like the Czech Republic and Russia, whatever, there was like much more experimental cinema going on at that time in the early 60s and mid 60s that America was very much responding to in the late 60s, early 70s. And, and specifically um, in France, I'd say it's the it's the like film fascism versus socialism. You know what I mean? It's like the fascist versus socialist sure. paradigm of like trying to introduce this like anti-fascist, like real film of the future sort of thing. Um, Mm-hmm. Which I think really is something that like 2001 and Planet of the Apes simultaneously like kind of uh, address in like completely different ways and stuff. But it is it is kind mm-hmm. of that French New Wave sort of politic. You know what I mean? Or politique. Totally. And the connection between Pla- and the connection between Planet of the Apes and uh, 2001 is um, interesting as well. But you'll get into that shortly. Um, to so yeah, the Pierre Boulle novel, um, honestly, Pierre Boulle thought it was one of his lesser works okay. and um, that it was unfilmable and stuff like that. And to a certain degree, he was right because um, the book the book is quite different from the final film version. Um, you know, like the, the, the astronauts in the book really do travel to another planet, for instance. They don't discover that it's been Earth all along or anything. Okay. Um, the Ape Society that they encounter is actually highly technologically advanced. They drive cars and fly around in helicopters. They live in a futuristic city. Um, and, and the book really was meant to be this kind of um, social satire. It really is about France at that time and the um, fascistic dehumanizing um, elements of the society and what have you. Um, so, like Planet of the Apes, even in its, in its source material, has always been kind of a satirical social commentary um, more than it is a sci-fi. And uh, the director of the film, Planet of the Apes, um, Franklin J. Schaffner, even said as much. He called this movie a Swiftonian satire, not a science fiction. Okay. Um I mean, it was very, it was obviously very clear to the artists. Um, I mean, the producer Arthur P. Jacobs and um, the director Franklin J. Schaffner, the the writers um, Rod Sterling and Michael Wilson. It was very clear to everybody um, above the line who was creative on this project that this was a social satire, that it was um, a film that was talking about our times and important issues. Um, although. <laughs> Uh, one of the executive producers, and I believe the CEO at Fox at the time, Richard Zanuck, like, didn't align with any of this. He was like, as far as I knew, like, this movie was just supposed to be entertainment, and we were just trying to give everybody a good time, and that, like, we weren't really trying to make a statement with the Statue of Liberty at the end. We just thought it was a powerful image. It's like, it's so funny how he's, like, just such the generic, like, CEO producer where everything literally goes over his head. Yep. And yep. he's just, like, he's trying giving to make them the white money telephone and film. saying, 
Yeah, yeah. He's just giving them money and trying to, you know, make this thing happen. But like all this kind of social stuff, even though it's really blatant and everybody is like aware of it and making this film, it's like not registering to him. <laughs> like, but I think um, I think like what's also interesting about that is that like a lot of reading into films in that way was like new at this time too. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, that's, Mm -hmm. if you look at the, even a lot of these like really great auteur directors and stuff, like a lot of the idea of messaging, yeah, just the idea of like the high and low art sort of divide, like that, that sort of whole thing that you could like have a low art movie be full of meaning that sort of thing like the idea of like genre movies could be the greatest movies of all time like Hitchcock is like popularized by those French New Wave or at least he became respectable as like an artist by those like French New Wave critics and shit um so it was kind of like a new thing to think that you could kind of make genre art you know what I mean that there wasn't that divide um that's that that I think is is something that's very new at this time, and I think that it's it's possible at this time to think of a producer who actually could just like be looking at images and like not see what's behind the images, um, because yeah. it's just like well I like I didn't need to look behind the images in any of the movies of the '40s or '30s or whatever. It's like it, that's kind of a new new thing. So people could well, still yeah, think that they're the making something obvious. Yeah. Now and now we're in the meta stage where you just blatantly say what the movie's about and say that like you know we know you know what this movie's about. Right. 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 We're like four stages past now. (laughs) Yeah. At the Barbie stage, it's like uh, subtlety is not the thing anymore. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I, I just think it's interesting that Zanuck like would make this statement in a in a Planet of the Apes documentary that like he, as far as he was concerned this movie wasn't actually about and, anything. Okay, so like, just so, so do you do you think do you think that that's like, do you think that that's him like troll or not trolling but just like trying to change the narrative or whatever just being like or, or just like not speak like he knew better but he's lying. Well, no. Or do you think because, that it's possible that he just literally only... couldn't figure out that there was subtlety happening and he's just like, "Oh, uh I think he's that I think he's that dense and that's yeah. why he's like the money man and a producer yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. who uh who just like just kind of needs to be like corralled and convinced that this is the way the artist should do things. Right. Um I mean, for instance, he's the person that needed to be convinced that the makeup would be convincing because Zanuck wasn't ready to give this production any money until he knew people wouldn't laugh, and I quote, laugh at the apes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, and they did this makeup test that costs like a significant amount of money to prove to the CEO that this was going to be something you could take seriously. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Um, well, that's good. And so it's funny. Oh, yeah. Totally. I think like that's a, that's a huge important. part like, this, of this why guy, this movie like, works. Yeah is the emotions on the Absolutely. faces of the apes and the mm-hmm. fact that you can see that they're actually like lip, like, like their, their mouths aren't just like two things that go up and down. They also squeeze from the, from the sides and they like, it looks like they're making the, you know, syllables, you know what I mean? Totally. And, you, and they, and the, and the actors really like utilize the range of motion and like Roddy McDowell, you know, encouraged the actors to develop like ticks and stuff like that, that they're doing with their faces. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you can always tell that, Cornelius is always doing this weird sniffing yep. thing. I know exactly the one. There's always kind of like these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so there's, I guess we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. But um, but yeah, I just wanted to mention, you know, more of the the groundwork of like 
um, the fact that this is like a producer's project. Art Jacobs really wants to, you know, make this thing into a movie, and he is the orchestrator and gatherer of all these artisans who come together and make this movie what it is. And he's a new producer, Art Jacobs. Um, he's only made these two movies. Planet of the Apes is his third movie. It's a big, uh, you know, it's a big risk, essentially. And a lot of people need to be convinced. Um, the first writer he brought on was Rod Serling of The Twilight Zone. Um, and this is an interesting stage of production because Rod Serling's um, original script of this movie um, was by and large uh, edited and changed and adapted by... Michael Wilson. Um, but some really important things happening during the Rod Serling phase, which is, I mean, Rod Serling initially, like his initial um, version of the script had the futuristic elements. Okay. It had the apes driving in cars, the hunt involved a helicopter. Um, his version was also more explicit. All the women were topless. Um, Man. And it's a missed opportunity. And, but, like, the ending is the thing that, like, a lot of people take credit for and it's hard to parse out, you know, like, who came up with the Statue of Liberty ending. And, the, and, and like, and the answer is a little bit more complicated because it, it, it gets down to the bottom of the fact that this, um, that uh, iconic ending was not the result of any one visionary's idea. Um, like I said, it wasn't in the book. Right. But Arthur P. Jacobs really wanted, like, a powerful, interesting ending. Yeah. Um, and actually, the ending of Planet of the Apes um, has precedent in an episode of The Twilight Zone. Okay. Uh, there is an episode of The Twilight Zone. What's it called? I shot an arrow into the air, and it's about two astronauts who get lost, and then in the end, they discover they were on Earth all along. So. Okay. Arthur B. Jacobs really liked this idea, really liked this ending of this Twilight Zone episode, and had Rod Serling write this into the script. Although, in the ending of the script, it wasn't um, the Statue of Liberty. Instead, Taylor finds like a video created by like the Atomic Testing Committee or something like that. Right, like right, a much right. more low that explains like, movie. everything. Sure. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and and even though different people take credit for it, the actual image of the Statue of Liberty was um, was said to be the uh, the idea of concept artist Don Peters. Okay. So like Don Peters was the concept artist of the film, who was like basically developed the entire look and aesthetic of the movie, and um, it was apparently conversations with him that led to the idea of using the Statue of Liberty. Okay. So it was one of those things that was like. And it also wasn't the original ending. It was more of a climax, and then the movie was going to continue beyond that and have Taylor find, like, some uh, technological weapon that he could then fight the apes with, and then he was going to die. Ah, okay. Um, so this is this is kind of where where Beneath uh, comes in, I guess. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where so we'll get to from. that. But, yeah, Beneath yeah, yeah. has a lot of, like, scrapped ideas from the first one right. and stuff. That makes um, sense. That makes a lot of sense. So... That's kind of, you know, and then so like Michael Wilson was the writer brought on to really like develop the script. He was like he was the writer of Lawrence in Arabia and the um, and Bridge on the River Kwai, which is okay. also an adaptation of a Pierre Boulle book, Bridge, Bridge over the River Kwai. OK. Um, 
And Michael Wilson was actually like a blacklisted uh, screenwriter in the 50s and stuff during the McCarthyism era. So a lot like the whole courtroom scene is very much him, his identity. Right. Um, a lot of the like, you know, the a lot of the things of uh, being a, a minority or someone persecuted um, in the system. So that was all stuff he had like personal experience with that he was putting into this script. Yeah. yeah. Um, There's definitely a lot of commie shit in there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And then the, like, you know, the, the other um, important name to mention would be John Chambers who did the makeup. He was like, uh, he was like a, a prosthetic artist who would make like limbs for soldiers and stuff like that, who eventually migrated to a Hollywood career. Um, and, uh, when Planet of the Apes was made, um, there wasn't even an Oscar for makeup yet, and he was given an honorary Oscar for this film. Right. Um, the makeup's so good, dude. Yeah, and it's awesome. Um, I mean, that that would be most... I guess that would be most of what would be um, important to mention about, like, the initial construction of this film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely um, a lot of people... No, yeah, exactly. Um, one funny anecdote, too, is that they knew Kubrick was working on 2001. They knew he was going to be doing monkey effects. Okay. And they actually <laughs> they actually reached out to see if he could give them any tips or, or help them um, develop their, their ape makeup. And his response was just like, no, we will not tell you how we do. <laughs> that's, not, that's exactly what I assumed it would be. That's exactly what I assumed yeah. it would be. <laughs> Um, I mean, I, yeah, so I feel like I feel like he would really like this movie in the end, or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? But I, I, I also oh, yeah. don't feel like he would help this project. <laughs> you know, what I, mean? I think that he would hang out and talk to Paul Thomas Anderson or you know Steven Spielberg or whatever. But he's not going to hang out and talk to somebody who's working on the Planet mm-hmm. of the Apes. <laughs> All right, so. Yeah, Planet of the Apes seems to be a franchise that's that's really stuck between worlds, between the old world of making um, studio Hollywood films and this new Hollywood era of being more um, artful and uh, injecting like a lot of meaning and vision into the work. Um, I, I really, I, I really do think that. Um, in that way, Planet of the Apes is one of the greatest franchises of all time. That it really balances out these these studio elements and these artful elements in a way that I'm not sure has ever been done quite as well before or since. Um, and that a lot of the credit that's given to Star Wars uh, for ushering in the new Hollywood age really should be placed at the feet of Planet of the Apes. No, no, totally, totally. Um, I think I think part of the thing though is like I feel like a lot of the time people talk about Star Wars as being the end of the like new Hollywood age and like kind of the beginning of like the blockbuster sort of thing or whatever. Um, where like I think that what's interesting about Star Wars is it really is a product of new Hollywood or whatever. Um, but that like. It, it, it's it's kind of like the end, you know what I mean? As it, like before that, they were giving all these people like 
all these auteurs, these huge budgets to do these things that were totally auteur, idiosyncratic projects or whatever. And then, like, after Star Wars, they're like, well, we can just kind of do another one of those. Like, um, But I think that Planet of the Apes really does usher in that era in a way that Star Wars kind of ends that era. You know what I mean? That, like, Planet of the Apes really is, like you're saying, like this this sort of product of these studios working on this type of project but it also really has this sort of french new wave politic element to it i think that like is very sort of anti-authoritarian and like could be a movie that's like taking the money from the money people who don't really understand it and making something that is you know against the money people and like maybe not you know, mm-hmm. against that specific money person or whatever, but just like a very subversive sort of anti-authoritarian film um, that like really challenges yeah. like a lot of things that I think people, you know, money people would be uncomfortable with. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this is, this is a movie that's really sure, sure. challenging the structure of our society in like a really, really deep way. And it's like, I mean, I, I think the thing that's really interesting to me about it is like just the opening of that movie, man, is just like, you got um, Taylor just sitting there alone on this spaceship, just like talking about like how much like the world sucks, <laughs> and, like you know what I mean, and just shooting up and like lying down and going to sleep and like it's he has this whole dream, you know what I mean? That is like to me, it's just like you can think of this movie as 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 this product of these studios trying to make you know a movie about astronauts that kids can watch and there's apes and stuff like and guns and it's fun um but you can also see it as like somebody in like 1968 1967 66 whatever it is just like getting high and just like thinking about all of the things that are happening in the culture like you know what i mean and then like all of those things in this dream way kind of come together to create this like crazy nightmare um, cause it's like, it's really, really dark, man. Like, it, like what it, like, I mean, it's a movie, <laughs> I don't know. It's like one of the bleakest views of what man is. Um, specifically cause I think like in the end, I don't know, we'll, we'll get, we'll get to the end. But, I, but I think that the beginning of this movie, like taking this as like what you're talking about, like it's two different things. It's two different worlds. Like we're looking at an astronaut, but we're also looking at basically like a hippie or a junkie, like, you know what I mean? Or, or like a, a beat poet or something. like some, some outsider of society who's getting high and thinking about these he's ideas. Very, and he's like very cynical about them. He's not, you know what I mean? He's, he's also not, surprisingly philosophical for an astronaut. Exactly. And, and he, in that contrast significantly like, with the other two I astronauts. Mean, which is the like big point I think is like the astronauts are not depicted yeah, as yeah. a bunch of tailors. Like Taylor is somebody who's not like the other astronauts. Um, sure. And I mean, Landon, um, the white astronaut um, does bring this up to him. He says like, you hated people or something like that. Right. He's like, you left earth behind because you hated people. Like you don't actually seem to, care about uh discovery i'm not sure what the specific word he used was but um but that like taylor says no i am interested in exploration i you know I, there must be something better than man which he is a line he repeats from the beginning yeah has to be he says uh he's like the men who sent us are dead and gone the you're a different breed hopefully a better one um 
does man, that marvel of the universe, that glorious paradox still uh, make war against his brother, all that, you know? (laughs) And it's like, I mean, the movie begins, like, it's a cold open. Like the actually, it's not it's not as cold. There there is the 20th Century Fox logo right at the beginning, but then it is a cold open, um, and the first shot is just like this psychedelic, like colorful image of like stars and yeah. kind of like kaleidoscopic things, and then you pull back and you're in a ship. It's a very weird like meditative in the womb kind of first scene. Totally. You know? Totally. Um, he even says, like, uh, we're now in the hands of the computers. <laughs> totally. Which is something that's uh, hugely relevant in 1968 stuff. Like, obviously, yeah, yeah, 2001 exactly. is talking about the same thing. And it's, yeah. You were saying something about how this is almost like a reverse 2001. How, like, it sort of, like, starts with, like, this psychedelic first shot, like, the Stargate. And then you come back, and it's like we're in the hands of the computers, and <laughs> yep, like, yep. Uh, and then you end up, you know, with apes on Earth, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it's a reverse Planet of the Apes in a lot of other. Or it's a reverse two thousand one in a lot of other ways too. I think, like, just like you're talking about the thing existing in two worlds. Like, I think Planet of the Apes does too, but it does it in a very different way and stuff. Like. 2001 makes things ambiguous in a way that like Planet of the Apes makes them more explicit, but like ends up ambiguous. <laughs> it's it, there. Yeah. I don't know. We'll, we'll talk more about 2001 when we do like a whole 2001 episode, but I think that, yeah, they're, they're very connected movies, but I think that bo- both of them basically like have this idea of thinking about like NASA or, I mean, in Planet of the Apes, it's ANSA, right? <laughs> Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, like it's answer. and it's uh, the theory of relativity by uh, Doctor Heinlein. What, what's his name? Um, oh, Hessline. Doctor Hessline. Hessline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead of Einstein, they make up this name Hessline, but then they actually put that character Dr. in. Doctor Otto Hessline from yeah. Escape from the Planet of the Apes, right? Yeah. Right, right. They put him in later. But. He's a uh, he's he's apparently the founder of ANSA. Right. Right. But in the original, it's just like they're they're mentioning his theory about like time and you know if you're traveling at the speed of light that you would you know they're basically talking about Einstein's theory of relativity, but they don't want to say Einstein, I guess, so they make up Hess line, and then like they don't want to say NASA, yeah. so they're all wearing ANSA uniforms and shit, and it's like mm-hmm. it's funny because yeah, yeah, yeah. the um, Escape from the Planet of the Apes, it's all NASA again, um, but I just feel like they hadn't gotten to the moon yet, and like it was just like they didn't want to. <laughs> I don't know. Use the specific corporation. Is it, is it NASA in Escape? That's why I really wish it I is. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Scrubbed through. Escape it was NASA. Again. It's yeah. weird. They it was not ANSA. It was that is, NASA. That is weird. Yeah. And then I watched this like, uh, and then I watched this like um, uh, auxiliary kind of program um, that was on one of the DVDs. That's like a video from ANSA about okay. like the launch um, about Taylor's crew and stuff like that. And I have, I have a strange suspicion that it doesn't align with like the mythology of the movie, but right. the mythology of the movie is fucking confusing anyway. So we'll keep talking about that as we go forward. Right. Right. Um, right. But yeah, so yeah, he's on this, he's on the ship. Well, I think um, that, I think that basically like, like he's, he's so different from those others because like 
this movie's vision of astronauts, kind of like 2001, is not like a glorification of the idea of what NASA's doing or the individuals doing it or any of it. You know what I mean? It's, I, I think that it's... I mean, it's, very, it's not even clear what they're doing. Well, it's, <laughs> I mean, that's, I, I think that it, like, the point is what they're doing is stupid and pointless. Like, that's the point. Well, sure. <laughs> like, this is the stupidest, most pointless mission to, like, send people out there for what? For discovery? And then, like, when he when he plants the, you know, the American flag and Taylor just laughs at him, it's, like, so in that haunting laugh. You know what I mean? It's such a, like, mockery of everything that the space program stands for. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, at least you... I mean, that that moment is very layered because there's your there's the interpretation of that moment not knowing it's Earth, and then there's the interpretation of that moment knowing it's Earth. Right, right. Yeah, you know, like that it, that it actually is America. Yeah, that's that's true. Um, it actually, yeah, it's like it's like it's so much more ironic that like Taylor would be laughing at him. You know, it's like, well, if Taylor knew this was Earth, then this laugh is like, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> you know, like. Right, right. But I mean, but either way, dude, but either way, it's like, he's an idiot because it's like, he's here for this. What? Like, what are you actually here for? And that's what, that's what he asks Taylor too. He's like, you know, the other guy, he makes sense to me. He would walk into a volcano if he thought he could learn anything that another man didn't know. But like you, I don't understand you. Mm -hmm. But I mean, that's very much like a hippie straight conversation, like that, that whole dynamic of like a straight person talking to a hippie person in the 60s and being like, why aren't you like, why aren't you trying to, you know, do this thing and build this with us and make progress and whatever? You're not interested in discovery. And it's just like, yeah, dude, I'm interested in discovery. But like, I just think there's got to be something better than like what you're into, which is like going to what planting a fucking flag and or just like wanting to learn something and just walking to your death to learn it like all all of like everything that those other astronauts represent is like the scientific progress nasa you know techno utopian idea of like scientific progress um and taylor is the opposite and i think that that's kind of and we see those ideas play out through the rest of the movie is like the idea of like, well, what, what is the space program for? Like, what are we doing? And like, what are we going to discover or whatever? And the, the idea that like all we discover is ourselves and that like all there is out there is us and our failures. And like, there's no escaping it that like you actually go all the way to the ends of the, and it's just like you again and seeing how much you fucked up. Like there's something really, and this is kind of, <clears throat> and this is kind of why, um, the idea of Dr. Zayas being correct is interesting, right? Exactly. The idea that, like, actually Dr. Zayas is more wise because he understands the importance of hindering progress. Exactly. Exactly. Um, that's, that's, like, the thing. is like a lot of the movie you're sitting there watching and you're being like, oh, look at this fucking religious backwards guy who's got his superstitions and he can't even see the obviousness of the truth that's in front. And then it's like, wait, no, he actually can see he's, he's just covering it up. And it's like, that's even worse. He's a real evil guy because he knows that this is, but he's just covering up for political reasons to keep himself in power and whatever. But then it's like, no, you get to the end. And it's like, nah, dude, you as man are the problem. (laughs) And like, that's, that's such an interesting, I don't know. That's such an interesting point is that it's like the the thing that wins out in the end is anti progress, (laughs) like, you know, or like ideological anti, well, anti truth, man, anti truth, 
you know, like it's 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 about like, you know, Zira's like, what about the truth, you know? And the thing is, like, he understands the truth. He just doesn't like Zira just doesn't understand what that the truth actually means, like the unraveling of their civilization, you know, right. That there's actually like that to be a nation and to have an identity is to have a story is to have, um, this kind of concrete doctrine and like system of values and whatever, you know, and that this all doesn't hold up and um, serve to unite people <clears throat> if the truth dismantles it. Right, right. Um, and that truth and, 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 is and scientific this, progress in this case. We're talking about progress and discovery and like that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's how you find out the truth. You know, right, right. At um, least in any kind of like objective way. Well, yeah, but there's also spiritual truth and religious truth and the types of truths that Zayas actually is protecting, you know, well, what because I mean? it's all, it is also, he, he is protecting a truth that holds together a society, right? There is a truth to the idea that like you need to operate in the way that Zayas does to actually keep things together. Well, they've been doing it for thousands yeah. of years. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. And, and, and it's actually like, and the decision, like the decision to, um, make the apes more primitive, and like not have them living in an advanced society is like a really interesting thing totally. because yeah, these, these apes seem very intelligent. Like they seem just as like intelligent and capable of wrapping their head around scientific concepts that like we understand in the 21st century. Right. Yet they don't have any, like they don't have any like, you know, complex technologies. Right. Um, they have guns and you know, whatever. Um, but like yeah there there is there is something interesting about the fact that like they live in a primitive kind of bronze agey sort of society i guess it's more like in an iron age or after cuz they do have guns which is like the weird standout thing right right um but <sighs> but, yeah, but it's small I scale I, I think there it doesn't have this world yeah, domination yeah, yeah. you know I do. I guess. I, I guess. Manifest destiny and uh, progress, and and you know that we are. Mm-hmm. We as apes are going to conquer the entire planet and all that. It's like no, nah, they've got and, and the that, forbidden and zone, is, and they stay here, and they like don't go outside, and they keep you know their structures in place. It's, you know, it's a very conservative society. In yeah, that for way. sure, for sure. Um, very conservative society. It's not progressive. Yeah, and it's. It's not interested in new modes of thought, new ideas. It wants to keep everything the same, and uh, uh, to except that the chimpanzees the are are very interested in in the scientific progress and stuff. I think Zero and because Cornelius. they're the intellectuals, right? They're the intellectuals, you know, who right. are the good guys and who are the good guys of our story. We're supposed to like identify them. But like when you read between the lines, like Zira is like the most racist piece of shit imaginable. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love how, like I love how in the same breath she says to Taylor, because you're a man, you all stink. Listen, (laughs) like, like all men look alike to most, to some apes. Right. Right. And then she confuses Brent, 
Brent for Taylor. In the yeah, 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 movie. totally, totally. Like, like she's a racist piece of shit. Like she doesn't. <laughs> her like. Yeah, but it's not only her that. Values, dude. She 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 hates the gorillas, dude. She even when when in, no, um, in that, Escape that, she gets she's in a cage. She's like it stinks of gorilla in here. She's like she's racist against like it's not just like she's specious. It's not just she doesn't like the or she has this racism against humans that like may be somehow natural or but like. She also hates the fucking gorillas. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And she doesn't really well, I think, hate the. I, I, well, I think it's well, no, the baboons um, as much as she hates the gorillas. It's two different forms of racism. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's two different like layers of racism, right? Like, it's the it's like the microaggression, subconscious racism with the humans, where she's condescending and does believe she's like superior to them and whatever. Yeah. Um, but then the gorillas is like an outright like racist hatred that because they are this way because they are gorillas and whatever yeah yeah they are brutish they are whatever although the movie doesn't do anything to suggest that she's wrong so yeah i mean no i know that's and that, that's a, always that's yeah. a really weird contradiction of this entire series is that like it's talking about all of this racial stuff but it's full of <laughs> Like problematic racial stuff, like specifically, like there is just the idea that specifically, like in, in later ones, like in Conquest, that you've got, you know, the the depiction of the black struggle or the the civil rights movement or whatever, but you're depicting the blacks yeah. as just the apes. Like that in itself is like a hilariously, <laughs> like you know, I don't know, problematic depiction, but. Yeah, same, same, same with sure. just in the original that you're talking about this and you're depicting, you know, them spraying Taylor with the hoses and you're talking about the civil rights movement. But then you're like, place in a race of apes that are just inferior, warlike, dumb, mon- like, you know what I mean? It's like, it's really like, why, why didn't you just have it be one race of apes? Like, why does it have to be three races of apes? And it's like, well, that is because it makes it a lot more interesting. Like, maybe it doesn't, it That's makes true. the statement yeah, a yeah. lot There's more. There's a weird contradiction there's a weird contradiction to it for sure. I mean, um, the, it's all a little bit more subtle in the first movie. Like Zira's I'm, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure Zira's outright hatred for the gorillas only arrives in the second one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, because that's all, that's the one where they actually have like general Urso and like the rise of the militant gorillas and right. like the, you know what I mean? Like they started to kind of take over the state and become militaristic. Um, but, in the first one, the gorillas, like, they they are just, like, they're the guards. Like, yeah. they're the agent. You know, like, they're just, they're, like, they always have, like, the sticks and whatever. And But they're never really, like, aside from the fact that, like, there's clearly a class divide aesthetically. Like, the gorillas are the military and the soldiers and the guards. And the orangutans are the uh, aristocrats um, and the politicians. And the religion. And then the... Um, and the religion, and then the the chimpanzees are the just kind of average, like citizen slash intellectual, and actually a minority apparently. Yeah, yeah. Which is a weird, which is also a weird distinction. Like there are more gorillas than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, another interesting like behind the scenes fact that's pretty well known is that like the actors self segregated during lunchtime and stuff. Like <laughs> chimpanzees would sit with chimpanzees and. Gorillas with gorillas, orangutans with orangutans, just just naturally, um, and then no, 
naturally. No one had any explanation for it. Yeah. You know, they all had to like, they all had to wear, wear their makeup the entire day and throughout lunch and they'd drink like through a straw and like have to eat in, within a mirror to watch their makeup and whatever. Right, right. Um, but they'd also like self-segregate for like no discernible reason. That's hilarious. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Oh man, it's it, the movie's um, full of so much like interesting, like cognitive dissonance shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, absolutely. It, yeah, the idea of the it's, race, it, get, in, it, like, it, it really does get to something. Um, and it was like really that was all happening during that time. Like, it, you know, the '60s was an incredibly turbulent time, leading into the '70s, and, and especially for like civil rights and everything. You know. Uh, so this stuff was pretty in the air. I mean, like yeah. it was so in the air. Like it was like it was in the. I water. mean, this was, it was it's like soil, as right? as recent as like the Black Lives Matter protests and shit are now. Like that's that's almost like distant past compared to like I mean it literally is distant past compared to like this was Martin Luther King was assassinated and then that weekend you could see Planet of the Apes. Like it's like that's how like it's not even like this. This is recent past. It's like. It's like that was it was happening then, dude. And like people were getting sprayed by hoses. Like it's not like that was a reference to something that was happening before. It's like, yeah, it was. But it's like it's a reference to something that was going to happen again in a couple of months. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? It's not it it (laughs) wasn't over in any way. So doing this at the height of I mean, specifically conquest, like the idea of conquest coming out when it did is just like I can't even believe how hardcore that movie is. Um, but even the first one, like the first one doing all that stuff when it came out is insane how relevant it is and how like feel bad it is about all of that, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and how like, it's not just making a simple, obvious statement. Like it's, it's really full of these contradictions that don't really make any sense where it's like talking about this racism and the problems of it or whatever, but also talking about like, well, yeah, gorillas are like this and you know, but chimps are like this. And they're, they're like, it's all, I don't know. There, that's why a lot of it to me feels like much more of a like fever dream of the sixties where it's like, what you have is like attitudes of racism and they're all just kind of intermingling, you know? And you'll depict one this way and one another way, but it doesn't necessarily work out as if it's like this was a completely thought out thing by one person who's trying to say this. It's like this everything that it does say, it kind of says the opposite, too, um, which makes it. Well, for instance, the the, I mean, the Statue of Liberty, like that image is haunting and says so much. And for it to be specifically America specifically the Statue of Liberty, the fact that that was not like... The fact that that decision wasn't the result of an auteur holistic mind um, and rather just like one piece of the puzzle, how amazingly that image ties in with the entire like thematic experience that Taylor goes through. Totally. Well, I mean, it's an immigration story. Ultimately... Well, yeah, because it's it's an immigration story, absolutely, and ultimately, it's all about like uh, freedom and like slavery. It's about dehumanization in the system and like emasculation and all this stuff. It's about like 
like this systematic and conservative way of doing things having no place for this other for this like individual and this like and this these bright eyes you know like these this vitality of life or whatever um And it's like, I mean, like Dr. Zayas even literally says, like, the first step is emasculation, then surgery on the brain, the speech centers, like, it's a living death, like turning you into a zombie. Right. Like, during the trial scene, um, Taylor says, like, uh, you cut out his memory, you (laughs) stole his identity. Yep. Or whatever. You stole our identity. And the idea that like they stole our identity is like really deep. Um, especially when you find out that it was Earth all along. Like they actually do model their society after man. And yep. like the like the worst parts of like how man did things, depending on how you're depending on your perspective. Totally. Um, totally. But you're right. It's so like gray area, you know, it's never falling on one side or the other. It's dynamic. It's nuanced. And that's probably why like CEO Richard Zanuck, like it was all over his head because there, it never was a thing where like, um, you know, William, uh, what's his name? The director, uh, Franklin Schaffner. Um, it's never a thing where he's running around being like the movie's about this, you know what I mean? Right. (laughs) Right. Um, like everyone, like this is the idea. This is what we're going for. It's like, yeah, there are some ideas. There are things. Um, like, yeah, they obviously understand they're working on the satirical piece that, like, it is political. It's social. All this stuff. But it's not. There's there's no like uh, godhead in this scenario. It's like, well, let's have this. Uh, writer pick up where Rod Serling left off and he's like injects all this like socio-political stuff that's based on his own like personal experiences into the script and then they, they, they go with it instead of being like nah we can't do this like Art, Art Jacobs is just like yeah 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 like just you know what I mean consenting to the creativity of all these different workers and whatever which is such a cool thing that you just don't see in studio pictures anymore Right. Um, um, no, I totally agree, uh, man. I totally agree, and that's. But like, but like, not, but not to say that Franklin J. Schaffner isn't like a really great director. I mean, he went on to make Patton. You know, like uh, so. Okay, I didn't even realize that. Also, a, also a great director. Um, another like huge element of what makes the movie work is the score. Like, oh yeah, dude. Jerry Gold, Jerry Goldsmith is one of the greatest composers ever. Like he's, you know, it's a crazy. And score. the Planet of the Apes score is uh, like radical and revolutionary. Like a lot of aspects of the movie. It's so creepy, dude, um, and so like psychedelic. And I love where he knows not to have music. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the end credits the enti- is insane. The entire. Oh yeah. But oh yeah. Just the sound of the waves. Yeah. It's so dark, dude. When you sit in that final image and the credits start rolling. Yeah. yeah. Just leaves you with it. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's like there's so much to think about. You know what I mean? And for them to just like oh, yeah. let it sit there and be like, wow. <laughs> like, what did this all mean? 
It's it's too cool because because it, it doesn't like, mean just one thing. Like it doesn't mean I don't know. Like that's the moment that Mad Men captures is like Don Draper sitting in the theater with Bobby, yeah. and like it's like that. It's that moment when the credits start rolling. Yeah, and Bobby and says like Jesus, and they're yeah, and they're just like sitting in that silent theater, and Bobby's just like Jesus. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, man, it's one of the great scenes in that in that whole franchise. But, yeah, yeah. Oh. Um, but yeah, I mean, the whole beginning of Planet of the Apes is. I feel like, like I, this movie. I think what's weird about like um, when I watched this movie first as a kid is I'd probably already seen a lot of movies that were inspired by it. It's like really interesting now to like contextualize the idea that there really wasn't a movie quite like Planet of the Apes yet. Right. The way this movie doles out its information and like the way it builds its atmosphere in the first 30 minutes, you don't see the first ape until 30 minutes into the movie. It's like all this tone building, this psychedelic trip through the desert shit, man. Yeah. Um and it's all just a discussion of, like, what is the point of this? And, like, yeah. who are we? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, well, okay, <laughs> well, we just, what, came here to die? Like, and are you getting anything out of this? Like, what were you, like, you know what I mean? It's, it's almost like a, it's almost like stalker or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just, like, three guys walking through, like, an environment and, like, a psychedelic environment with, like, crazy weird, like, oh, 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 oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> stuff. for sure and like just kind of discussing like why do we go to the moon or if we just because we can like is what's the like you know well that's also different between um you know taylor's not ready to die yeah um, that's that's landon, like landon is yeah of course landon is you know the people who represent that like you know like taylor's just like he's ready to die yeah <laughs> Chalk up another victory for the human spirit. Yep, yep. It's, but they're not really men, man. <laughs> like, Taylor's a real man. <laughs> like, they're fucking... Yeah, Taylor's like, a real man. That's why I know this all shills of the fucking, like, system. And that's why they want to just, like, go die in a tin can somewhere. The idea that, like, Taylor is an astronaut is just, like, the part that doesn't make any sense. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's just, like, that's, that's the thing. Is like, buying that he would be an astronaut, like... I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's like it is still the early astronauts. You still do have like those fighter pilot guys that you know are that type of guy, I guess. But they didn't end up being what the astronauts. Were. Like <laughs> I, I don't know. All the other guys are what the real astronauts sure. were. Just like guys who were happy to sit in a tin can and die because they'll have a plaque somewhere. Uh, you know, the first astronauts couldn't write poetry. Yeah. Or couldn't could, read. Poetry. Couldn't read poetry. Yeah. 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 Um, no, yeah, for sure, man. I was, I was picking up on that too. This time was the, the pure banality of their mission and their, and their purpose. And then like that culminating with a placing of the flag and him just laughing at them. And like, it's, it's, it's amazing. Cause it's like, that is just like a really depressing, like depiction of like, like a, 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 a NASA mission. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, we're going to go, we're going to discover mm-hmm. the thing. And then you just land on a desert planet where nothing grows to just die with like these other th- two guys. Cause the only girl's gone. <laughs> like, it's just like, 
<laughs> All right, we're just gonna I was, I was walk gonna say like, until uh, we die. <laughs> I was gonna say, I wonder what the dynamics would have been like if Stuart survived. Yeah, like if she would have been, you know, yeah, she was to be the new Eve. Yeah, she was to be the new Eve, but I could see that causing with some our uh, hot and eager I, help, I of course. <laughs> I don't see Charlton Heston going along with a polyamory situation, personally. I. <laughs> I think yeah, maybe yeah. They uh, would be like he would, he would, he would take her, and then they would just be like, <laughs> he'd be like, "You two hook up. I'm gonna take the woman. You discover whatever there is to discover here." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, and then they do find life. They find a plant, and there's a trippy dialogue line. But that's where there's but it's one. like there's a separation. There's like there's actually a separation between those things. Like there is a whole first sequence that is that discussion of like the pointlessness of this. And then you see a glimmer of hope that then is like this new thing that is them discovering this thing. And and it becomes about the planet of the apes, but like the whole beginning before they discover life is like basically like a, I don't know, like a Tarkovsky movie. Just like them dying for no reason and like walking and no, talking yeah, about mean, them. Like, I don't know. It's and then it turns into slowly the planet of the apes, but it takes so long. Like, mm-hmm. no, but like I was saying, um, there's a, like a very trippy line where he says, Where there's one, there's another, and another, and another. Yep. Um, talking about the, the plant. Yep. And this line is re- this line's repeated later by Dr. Zayas. Ah, um, that's true. Good call. Oh my god, dude, this movie's so fucking good, dude. It's so good. Yeah, well, because he's he's like that's when he brings um, Taylor into his office and admits to him for the first time that like yeah I know all this shit and like he's like you're talking heresy, Dr. Zayas. He's like of course. <laughs> yep, yep. He's like, he's like, what I know is that where there's one, there's another and another and a whole nest. Where are your women? <laughs> <laughs> it's the best. It's the best. But it's, but it, but I love that it's all like that's such an interesting part of it. Like, you know what I mean? That there are two others and like that he said there were two others and that that makes the suspicion worse and stuff. Like, you know what I mean? It's it's mm-hmm. no, this is others, a pattern. Yeah. I understand patterns and like science and that like when there's one there is another and that is the thing that i need to like it's it's very it's very intelligent that's a a psychedelic concept man the just that it's so so simple so refined and like it's easy to not it's easy for that to for that to pass you by without it really like sinking in because it's so simple yeah but yeah dude the idea the idea like that is the paradox and even the lime paradox it gets brought up a few times in this movie, like that man, the marvel of nature, that living paradox. And Cornelius calls um, Taylor at the, tr- at the hearing this paradox of human nature or whatever, mm-hmm. um, this paradox of nature. There's the idea of like where there's one, there's another and another is psychedelic because it like goes back to that idea of like, well, how can there be the one without the other? Then how is there ever just the one or like where does everything come from? It's like the chicken and the egg thing. Right, right. It's also just like looking at the, an individual um, and seeing the larger group that that individual is representative of. For sure. It's like, it's not just when there's one, there's another. Like, uh, but, it, but it's like, 
this thing is not this thing that I see in front. It's not just a it's not just a tree, but it's a part of a whole race of trees that are infiltrate. Like, and that's it's almost like sure, a, no, yeah, yeah. It's almost like if you were you know some white guy in in the thirties, and then the black guy moves into the neighborhood and whatever. It's like, well, it's not that I don't like you. <laughs> But it's just that all of the others are coming. Like, it's like you're ruining the town. It's just like racism. We're talking about just pure just racism. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But also pattern recognition. And like there is like there's I don't know. It, like these are all these weird sort of fractals of racial stuff and immigration stuff and changing paradigm stuff. And the idea that like a changing paradigm isn't necessarily good for the people who did well in that paradigm. Like, you know what I mean? Um, it's something that I really think that, yeah, you know, yeah. the later Planet of the Apes movies really get into in a really crazy deep way, but it's already there in the first one um, where mm-hmm. yeah, basically sure. Cornelius and Zira are like helping this guy for like all the right reasons. Cause they're liberals. Like we, we are like, we, you know, we see this and we're like, yeah, dude, why would you kill him? Like, no, don't kill. He's a nice, he's a, He's perfectly nice. He's talking. He's not trying to do any. But it's like, Dr. Zayas knows, like, no, 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 dude. It's not just him. Like, it's his descendants. It's the things that come from him and all these other things that are going to change the way that we live in ways that are, like, un... Like, you can't undo it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you're, you're letting this cat out mm, of the bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, that's very much, like... <laughs> like how somebody would feel if they were against progress as far as like the civil rights movement. <laughs> you know what I mean? If it's just like we white guys have this all under control right now. <laughs> like and like if we let black people have equal opportunities, like we may not be on top forever. <laughs> you know? Like that may not be good for yeah, us. And they're right about you know that, what I mean? Yeah. Um <laughs> And yeah, they're right about they're that. They're certainly right about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like the movie doesn't necessarily come down on the side of like either way. Like, you know what I mean? It's like it doesn't come down as being like, well, obviously they should have just killed Charlton Heston because like, we don't feel that way. But it's like, but also it doesn't come down as like, oh, thank God Charlton Heston lived and now like the world's going to be a better place. It's like, no, actually, we just kind of hope that the ape society can keep going on without the paradigm shift because they've been doing well for like a couple thousand years. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like the idea that then, I mean, the second one brings in the other idea of other humans who are still able to talk and reproduce and whatever that, you know, doesn't necessarily yeah, come yeah. from Taylor himself. But the ones after that, when we talk about the, the apes, that's his, like, uh... that ends up being the opposite thing. Like when, when the apes come to earth, that ends up being the discussion that's really a much more clear cut version of that, I think. Um, but mm-hmm. sure. Um, hmm. yeah, we haven't touched, um, too much yet on Nova. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about Nova. <laughs> I mean, Nova's so fucking hot, dude. Like Nova's like a dude, <laughs> like a Natalie Wood. <laughs> it's got those huge eyes and shit. She's beautiful. Yeah. 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 That so like that was always a big part of my enjoyment of this movie. Like as a you know young boy, staying home from school and watching. Like, you know, young, as a young lad, I would put in my Planet of the Apes VHS. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's it's always something to look at. I mean, uh, so the, the first movie has a lot less Nova than the second, um, but 
still, man. Just like her That's skimpy true. outfit and shit, and just like being placed in a fucking cage to like mate with <laughs> like this girl who's just like. Dude, she's she's also like she's retarded, dude. Like it's, she's not even really a person. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? She's like just like literally just a sex object, <laughs> like completely in like the I kinkiest think... way. Where it's like we're just giving you this like body <laughs> to like have sex with, mm-hmm. and then she's like, he's like, well, I uh, you know you're not the smartest girl around, but you're the only girl in town. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then like then he ends up being like, no, I want to you know I want to keep this one. Like I like this one. <laughs> It's like, it's very funny. It's very funny, um, but it's also like Still it's like though, kinky. I, it's I like think it's it's part it of a kinky. porn it's some fantasy, kind of weird, thing. like sex fantasy thing. Yeah, the, the idea that you would like get locked up with this gorgeous woman who doesn't talk and it just like is gaga for you. Yeah, yeah, because like you're just like a god. To her. <laughs> It's yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> the total male fantasy. Yeah, and like that's to to hear that this movie was very much like the product of like a lot of different people's input or whatever is just kind of like there's got to be somebody who was like, yo, you're doing that, so like you definitely have to get a super hot chick and like like really tattered up clothes and uh, have her locked in a cage <laughs> with a guy, like you know what I mean? It's like that's that's gonna be part of this, right? Like everybody wants to put that in. The yeah, movie. one thing I couldn't really. One thing I couldn't parse out was like who is responsible for Nova. Yeah. You know. Well, it just seems like, like that's obviously any movie needs to have the sex appeal. Like, you know what I mean? That's a part of yeah, old yeah, school yeah. Hollywood I, thinking. I think and that's fortunately it was still a part of the thinking here. <laughs> yeah. So I think uh the whole thing you were saying earlier about like Landon and Dodge. Mm-hmm. Um and how they're not men and Charlton Heston, you know, Taylor, he is a man. Yeah. Uh, I think a very similar thing is happening with Nova where it's saying like, this is a woman and you could, you could say that's sexist and whatever, but there is some kind of like boiling down going on about the Taylor Nova dynamic. Right. Right. And I just want to give, ta- I want to give, cause I want to give Nova a little credit here. You know, I think it's, it's pretty easy to say that she's retarded and whatever. Right. Um, and that because of that, she's just a total object and all this kind of stuff. And like, and the beginning of the movie also just right out of the gates makes a, makes, you know, bends over backwards to establish a female character who is a astronaut and scientist, a biologist, um, and then kills her off immediately. And you never even get to like know her or anything. Right. You know, it's like there was, there was the opportunity for like having a um, quote unquote intelligent, uh, strong female character in this movie, but we're going to deprive you of that immediately and then give you Nova. Um, completely, completely. But, but I feel, but I feel like Nova represents femininity in its most like animalistic and pure way. You know what I mean? And I, and I do think she actually has a subtle wisdom that like is conveyed, but kind of hard to pick up on. The the only problem with it is I think the film like um, generally cuts away from her or doesn't provide enough like um, coverage of her facial expressions for you to really know what's going on with her. Right. I think that's part of what's Um, so powerful about her as a character is that, you don't yeah, really yeah. know if she's looking at him being like, 
oh, I think you're really cool and I like you. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this is like, or if she's just looking at him like, oh, you are bigger than me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you don't know. Like, and, and that, that's what allows you to sort of read into. I mean, this is something I've talked about before, like in connection to like the virgin suicides and stuff. But like, but there is an idea of attraction um, they, they talk, they talk, a really good example of it is in uh, Dazed Confused is what I always think about um, where the oh, fuck Wiley Wiggins is at the uh, the pool like the pool club or whatever they're, they're, they're playing billiards and the girl comes up to him and like invites him to a party he goes up to this guy and he's like yo she invited me to this party like we, whatever and he's like here's what you do you say like no, I got my own ride, but maybe I'll see you there. You know what I mean? And like, he's like, sounds mm-hmm. dumb, but it, it works. And the whole thing is like, he's, he's like creating this sense of distance and like this sense of um, mis- mystery, you know what I mean? Where it's like, whoa, what is he up to? What's he doing? Like, and, and, and that allows somebody to like read their own narrative into what he's up to. It's like, oh, well, he must be doing something really cool. And like, he doesn't need a ride from me because like, he's probably got all sorts of friends and all sorts of things that he's doing. And maybe he'll be there. Maybe he won't. Cause like, he's pr- maybe he's got something better to do or whatever, like, you know, and like, same with like in the Virgin suicides, there's like the distance of these characters that sort of allows these boys to come up with these romantic fantasies about them. But it's like, because they don't know them. Um, and I, I think similarly with Nova, you're looking at a character where you like really don't know what's going on behind her eyes or whatever, but like you can read little glimmers of, you know, whatever you want to into it where it's like, if, if she's looking up at him, you can think like, Oh, so she actually like, she's actually looking at him and understands what's going on and that he's, you know, but then like a second later, she'll just be like wiping up his, (laughs) like, uh, let like his, uh, when he's trying to write in the dirt and she just like starts right wiping it up <laughs> it's just like oh no she's just a yeah, dumb yeah, animal all like, of a sudden like uh, yeah but that's not and, that's not necessarily what's going on there like nova nova might understand that what he's doing is dangerous and she's trying to protect him we also have to remember that like they're 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 connected by blood like you know she gave him her blood they did a transfusion like right off the bat he got nova's blood like yeah yeah like like it's because like he gets shot in the neck falls yeah, yeah, yeah. The, you know upon and then and then they take him in and the first scene uh is like zira and this surgeon over him and nova on the tables and they're giving him her blood crazy crazy and I think, like, Nova then at this point just has a connection to Taylor. Right. A blood connection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and she's there for him and there to protect him. Um, and I, I don't know. Like, I, I just think it's, like, I think her erasing the letters is not, not like, evidence of her stupidity. Yeah, yeah. I think that, necessarily. I think that it can be read both ways. And, like, I think that that's what sure, makes, sure. That's what that's I mean. what makes her, her so much more her interesting. There's like, not enough, like... But like she's also <clears throat> right before, right before she erases the letters, she's trying to get Taylor's attention. Um, she's trying to communicate something to him about how they're blood connected. She's like pointing to his arm and pointing to her arm. Oh, okay, okay. Um, 
So like I don't, I don't even remember that. I was probably too things. distracted by her <clears throat> boobs. <laughs> yeah, or just the fact that like she that that's basically not the focus of the scene. Right, right, that's right. something that's happening, yeah. but really you're listening to like Cornelius and Zira and Dr. Zayas like talking right outside the cage and Taylor's trying to like get their attention and whatever. Um so like you don't notice that um Nova's trying to get his attention like, and like communicate something to him. Right. Right. And she has moments like this throughout the movie where she's like trying to communicate something or like something like she has some like weird kind of, um, freak out near the end of the movie, like after they're broken out and they're traveling with Zira and Cornelius, Mm -hmm. she has like a a weird freak out where she's like pointing out into like the jungle yeah yeah, yeah. whatever and then he like grabs her and calms her down i don't know that's what she's trying to she's trying to go back to the human camp Mm -hmm. i think that's that has to do with the dead zone and like the human camp and like leaving yeah she's like she's afraid of the forbidden zone yeah yeah. and doesn't want to go there and stuff it's like but like she should be i don't know like i feel like she's uh she is like wise to something that Taylor's not because he's just like a headstrong Westerner and a man who like charges into the unknown mm-hmm. to find out what, you know what I mean? Like, like we were saying, uh, yeah, well, that's the thing is in the yeah, end, like, Taylor like, I really feel like, is I feel man. Like Nova's pri- yeah. Nova's primitive nature is also wise in a, in a way that like Dr. Zayas's thing is, you right. know what I mean? Right. There's something about the, like, primitive way of interfacing with reality in the world that actually might be um healthy for you right um totally yeah but also i mean if taylor just like went back to the ape camp and or back to the human camp and just like hung out there he'd probably have done better than what ends up happening in <laughs> beneath you know what i mean yeah plus if he wasn't there maybe the world wouldn't for have sure. ended <laughs> <laughs> just listen to her i guess that's possible if if it's all if it all actually is like a terminator styled cyclical time travel thing um but i'm not sure let's not get into that quite yet um so, so yeah yeah one, so yeah one other thing i guess like was on my mind was thinking about the fact that i've um never been able to watch this movie blind that like you know the first time i watched this movie i was already aware of the statue of liberty reveal yeah 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 as most people are because it was like printed on the front cover of the box right. generally and stuff like that um but <clears throat> well thinking about that this time through um i was like i thought something that was interesting was the idea that um the fact that the apes use the English language and understand English handwriting mm-hmm. isn't any kind of giveaway to Taylor. Yeah. Once you realize that um, it actually does make sense that they would be using English in right. the end. Right. It's not some kind of like uh, taken for granted um, thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. That they don't explain within the reality of the movie. It actually turns out, oh, this is Earth. So it actually would make sense that they're still using English and that they write in English. Um, but, that the, but the fact that 
this is not something that clues Taylor in at all is kind of interesting. Yeah. So um, I, I think I think that part of the reason that it doesn't clue us in is because we assume that it's a dumber movie than it is. Right. Like as an audience, we're just kind of like, exactly, OK, yeah. well, it's a talking ape movie and they all speak English, obviously, because that's what they should. Uh, but then in the end, you're like, oh, it makes sense. They would speak English because it's the same. Like, you know. Um, but I think that that also like really shows the difference between Taylor and the other astronauts. Like it kind of feels like the other two astronauts, if they saw the apes and they were speaking English, they'd be like, why are they speaking English? Like, this is like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Whereas Taylor's just like, yo, I bet there's like a hot chick here. (laughs) Like, whatever. Like, I just want to get my guns and get, like, I don't know. He's he's like too, I don't know. I guess it's like he's silent for the long part of it and whatever, like discovering what's going on. Um, So you don't really know what's going through his head. And then he's just trying to escape. So it's like, he's distracted from that, I guess. But yeah, I, I, it it does seem like, and he does just want someone to hold him. It's weird because he's a man, right? But like he, he admits to Nova that, like, he left. He's like, there's lots of love making, but no love. Yeah, so yeah, I left yeah. that place because there was no one to hold me. Yep, yep. <laughs> That's all he really needs. He just wants some love and someone to hold him. Yep, yep. <laughs> beautiful so he's like that's like we don't need freedom (laughs) we don't need justice we just want someone to love yep yep yeah um no but like but then furthermore you know furthermore like they kind of like the climax of this movie before the ending is actually them going into this cave right that's the sort of like side narrative throughout the whole movie that's getting teased at which is that like cornelius is like an archaeologist and he like found this digging site and um dr zayas like revoked his permissions or something like that because he went too far um but he had before being called back found a cave with a bunch of artifacts and whatever and after freeing taylor um Cornelius Zira and their nephew Lucius um, take Taylor and Nova to this cave. And, you know, <clears throat> Dr. Zayas shows up, um, kind of gets held at gunpoint by Taylor. So Taylor's sort of proving Dr. Zayas right that man is a beast. And, like, you know, Cornelius is like, I'm the, the head of this expedition. And Taylor's like, no one tells me what to do. And now I have a gun, so fuck you. Yeah. Um, this is just like and uh, okay <laughs> okay fine yeah i guess like cool and then <laughs> and then uh but they do go into this cave and like cornelius gets to make the case and i really just love this scene i really love how dr zayas like and his um he keeps coming up with explanations i think yeah, yeah, well, he keeps coming up with explanations for things that, like, are kind of just as reasonable. It's, like, this whole thing of, like, you just came up with this narrative, and, like, that's not actually proof. And yeah, blah, blah, blah. and I could come up with a narrative that um, ju- it is just as strong by looking at the same evidence in this room or whatever. And it's, he's, he's, he's using sophistry and shit. Like, it's, it's argumentation. It's, like, it's, like, politics. It's, and, and, you know... Cornelius is trying to do like real science, but I think that like one of the real things that this movie like is discussing that we kind of haven't even talked about much um, 
is, I mean, I guess we kind of have, but, but just like the way that like science is perverted by its paradigm, right? Like that, I think is kind of one of the main, oh, totally, yeah. main points of the movie end of 2001 and all that stuff. But I, I feel like we've kind of left it kind of unspoken so far, but like just the idea of like what science is, is not like this beautiful, unmutable ideal. I mean, that is what it is kind of, but like, that's not what the science we know is, you know, there are like people who want to do this Mm -hmm. science, like Cornelius or whatever, who are interested in this stuff, but those people don't get their projects funded and they don't contribute to the paradigm or whatever. And that sort of stuff is, you know, covered up. Whereas if they want the, how do you, if you want the science that agrees with all the things that Dr. Zayas says, like he can find that, you know what I mean? And then that will be the science. Yeah, exactly. Um, so science is not unpervertible. It's easily perverted by politics and by religion um, and by these other power structures. And so like, it's not just like, I mean, science is the scientific method where you think about something, you eliminate variables and then you test those variables and then you come up with a conclusion and then you test that conclusion. Like that's, that, that's what science is. But like mm-hmm. science, when it comes to something like the, you know, the ancient past of the universe, <laughs> um, or the future, like those are not science. Uh, you know what I mean? It's th- those are all things that are narratives that are applied to science, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And so those things are pervertible, just like you can get a, a paradigm of science that is like all of the scientists who believe in this type of thing are knocked out. And then like all of the people who believe in phrenology all of a sudden are all of the experts in your whole country. And so science is phrenology and that's, you know, we have to abide by that because it's the science. And it's like, well, no, that's, that's not the scientific method. That's not what, it's just like an idea that is created between these politicians and whatever to apply a narrative to whatever spurious evidence they've been able to acquire from maybe some sure, real scientists sure. on the it's very like, baseline who are the Corneliuses out there. It might be evidence, but it's like incomplete or like cherry picked or you're not like showing another data set or, you know, things are being conflated. That's definitely an ongoing thing being discussed, you know. And it's and it's crazy. Movie. It's crazy to make a movie that kind of talks about how that's good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where it's like all all of those things are perverting the science or whatever, but it's like, yeah, dude, but that's because we don't want that science to get out there. <laughs> like, because if that science gets out there, yeah, then it destroys our society, yeah. and then like we end up as bad as the humans were, and everything collapses, and it's the end of the world. Like, that's the only reason that they've been able to exist is because they've been able to deny the science. So that takes all of the morality of the entire movie that came before it and completely flips it on its head, like, in the last moment. You know what I mean? But, well, yeah, because historically, historically, science has also always been tied to, like, Western expansion in, like... Uh, and progress. Colonialism and, and progress. war. Yeah, so it's all Specifically wrapped up into war. the same package. I mean, like, yeah, I, war, like exactly. scientific progress and doesn't happen and without... slavery, it's all connected. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which, again, is, like... That's 2001 A Space Odyssey, but we'll, we'll talk about that. 
from there. The slavery but, exists no matter what, I guess, because you know slavery exists in this uh, in this primitive environment as well. I guess actually. That's the weird thing, though, is like the humans aren't actually slaves, are they? They're just being experimented on. Like this ape, these ape, like actually the only reason there are humans around is because of people like Dr. Zira, like because they want to study them. Like Dr. Zayas doesn't actually give a shit. He doesn't like want them to study humans. Right. That's part of the effort to block the progress. And like, honestly, if it was up to like the ape leadership, there wouldn't be any humans in that city at all. Like, they would just be, like, kept at the fringes by the scarecrows and, you know. Like, they aren't actually using the humans as a slave class. No, they're using them for hunting, though. They are hunting them for sport, yes. They're using using them for target practice and for what whatever fucking Cornelius and Zero want. But We actually don't know that, though. Because, like, that is a cornfield. They are ravaging a field, and they make the statement about the humans doing that. So, like, I actually think it's not a, like, a, like a hunt for sport. It's a hunt to, like, stop their crops from being destroyed. Right, right, right. They're just trying to... And that's, to... like, why there's scarecrows, too. They, they don't want the humans to be there. But right. they have the military might to take them out, if need be. And when they capture some, they take them in for the scientists. It's just, you know what I mean? It's, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not really like they don't really want to be dealing with them. It's a, it's just kind of like a problem. They're like a pest. Yeah, you know? yeah. That's how Doctor Zayas describes them. Um, he says like the sooner they're he, he's wiped out, the better, and whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Man is a nuisance. Um. But yeah, so but like to get back to the um, science stuff, like. There is definitely this conflating of morality and reason that's, like, heavily um, presented during the the hearing portion when Dr. Anarius, who is both judge and prosecution, appearing for the state, um, says, like, of course he doesn't know our culture because he cannot think. Like, that is a really, like, the whole, like, conflation of... uh, because he cannot think, he cannot use reason, and like so, of course, he doesn't know anything of our culture, as if like culture has anything to do with reason. You know what I mean? Right, <laughs> like, right. Um, that you could ever understand a culture using reason—that's like part of the reason why cultures don't like connect or understand one another. Because actually, like understanding another culture isn't like a you know a mathematical or like reasonable exercise you know it's just like culture is fucking a story it's an identity based on something way more spiritual or ephemeral and like historical based on the way a tribe or peoples have acted and behaved for you know hundreds thousands of years um but i I think it's i think it's really interesting that um that 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 is kind of the thing that like stops the progress that hinders the progress is the marrying of these two things totally the idea that like our scientific understanding of things is actually um congruous with our morality and the way we see the world in a spiritual way right and that's always kind of been the thing of man and that's 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 where the science comes from like you know what i mean that's where that the yeah, truth yeah. comes from is not like the things that he's discovering. It's the whole way that the conversation is structured. 
and like that uh-huh. this thing it seems obvious to us or whatever but like because we're not part of that paradigm or whatever but like the idea that like ape society could structure all of these conversations this way and it works and now this is this piece of like that dealing with this like throws that all into upheaval um so instead it's just like well clearly he couldn't because he's not a part of this like he has no knowledge of this it's like that's the only way to i don't know yeah i i I think that a lot of it is just like the idea of i mean we were kind of talking about it with oppenheimer um actually but just the idea that this this what happened is not what actually happened but it's the narrative of what happened um Mm -hmm. i think that that's kind of part of the ape society as well and interpreting taylor as this this um i don't know this thing that disproves all of that um just interpreting him like there's no way to accept his argument you know what i mean without like tearing Mm -hmm. down all of this and so it's like you just use the previous paradigm to attack him in a way that's like no he just can't exist we just can't have that exist that doesn't you know that's the only way to deal with it um and i guess that's been scientific progress throughout all of time whenever there is a new piece of information that goes against like how we previously understood reality it's generally met with a lot of um, pushback exactly. and whatever because exactly. the, the system as it was really relied on that previous understanding of the way things worked. Exactly. Um, and that's, and that's the thing that, and that's what you're seeing is the depiction of a paradigm shift, but it's, you know, almost completely subverted, <laughs> you know, like they almost completely stopped the paradigm shift from happening. And, I, I, the, the, and that's where, you know, beneath the planet of the apes kind of changes it or whatever, but it's, I don't know. Yeah. They let so Taylor escape, beneath, kind of. But the the idea of, like, we're seeing the struggle of this new paradigm against the old paradigm, but the old paradigm just basically wins out. And, like, the only way that the new paradigm exists is that, like, it gets guns and then escapes, as opposed to, like, creates a new paradigm. Like, it's like, Taylor does not, you know, save the humans or fix... Like, you know what I mean? I mean... He doesn't, I mean, to skip to the end, ultimately, no new paradigm gets created. The entire world gets destroyed. Right, right. In the, ne- in the so next So it almost period. is like, it's irrelevant what, what happens, like, not long after. Like, honestly, Dr. Zayas is correct because, like, releasing Taylor just, just like, meant the end of the world. They just needed to kill him. <laughs> like, right. With With hindsight, you know. Yeah, I don't know but, how much I like Beneath the Planet of the Apes because of what it does to Planet of the Apes. That's that's the thing is like I think that I think that the of, ending of Planet of the Apes without Beneath the Planet of the Apes is like Taylor's dead. Like you know what I mean? It's like they, okay, well, there's nothing. Yeah. Like what? Okay, he could get he could go back to the human society. That could be cool, I guess. Like, but or he could just keep going out plus, like he does like, and then just like die but it's like there's no there's nothing for him here he's just realized like that this was all on this deserted planet of whatever like you know there is no human left other than him and that's over i don't know it's yeah, it's yeah. really cynical it's not it's not imagining like oh he escaped and that's good it's like he escapes long enough to find out that it was like so much more futile than he ever realized. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's kind mm-hmm. of the, the whole 
thing. And it's just like, I don't know. His, his freak out at the end, like, he could almost instead just do the same laugh that he does at the American flag. Like, you know what I mean? But they're, they're like, it's both this thing of just like, you, you idiots. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Like, oh my God. Yeah, I knew it'd be something like this. <laughs> oh. Oh yeah, I, I oh yeah, I remember what I um, I, I remember what I wanted to say going back to the, the the cave and stuff though, um, and the Eng- like using the English language and whatever, mm-hmm. um, is that like the doll, is the pr- is somehow the proof yeah. that there was like an early man. The fact that it says mama and um, yeah. I guess I was imagining that that would be a giveaway for anybody in the audience who was like a thinker and a little ahead of the movie. Um, right, right. Maybe, um, but also it could just be uh, just as stupid as the apes talking in English or anything else, where it's like, oh, this is just a stupid movie, and mm-hmm. this they're talking about ancient humans being smarter and whatever, that it's the same thing as evolution except backwards or something, but then it's not, and I don't know. Um but yeah, that's that is like the real yeah. reveal at the end is like that like there has been this ancient history. It's proven that humans were this thing and that like really proves that Dr. Zaius knew this all along and has been burying this history. And why? Because like humans fucking suck and they have this thing where they just go out and they conquer and they build and there's progress. And that's the paradigm that yeah. that Charlton Heston is a part. I mean, he's taking over, he's getting gun and then he's like not a part of the team anymore. Now he's in charge of himself. And like, it's, there is a, a Western cowboyness to him or whatever. Um, but he really does. He really does just prove Dr. Zayas right. Completely. Completely. Everything Dr. Zayas is saying. And he doesn't even care. I mean, he's just like, yeah, but I got my woman and I got my gun and I got my horse. So I don't even care if you're like, I'm just fucking out of here. So this would be a good way to like to to segue out of Planet of the Apes is just to talk about this like this final moment that's like not given as much credit as the Statue of Liberty, obviously. Yeah. Which is more of a period uh, to something that had already like ended and had a climax, which was Taylor makes his judgment um, at the beginning of the movie. Taylor says um, a few on a few occasions must be something better than man, and then at the end here. He's looking at these things in the cave and says he wore dentures and he had a th- like a stint in his heart. He was a weak and fragile animal, but he was better than you are. So yep. he like makes the judgment that like man, like that what he represents this like man who makes war against his brother and like, lets his neighbor go hungry that conquers and controls, he sides with that being better than what these apes are in this exactly. kind of society who try exactly. to hinder, hinder all that and whatever. And, and that's then, what makes that last but, moment so powerful. You know what I mean? Because he's mm-hmm. like, you know what? Fuck you. I am about progress. And like, I do think that there should be like, and then it's like, oh wait, this leads to that. And then, and, and then he literally like shoot, and then he shoots some of the apes, yeah. the gorillas, and then he ties Dr. Zayas up. And then, and then Dr. Zayas is like, you know what? You're right. I do know about man. And then he, and then he has uh, Cornelius read the scripture, which I'll just read because it's awesome. But the, and this is also how beneath begins is with this again. Uh, but beware the beast man for he is the devil's pawn. 
alone among God's primates, he kills for sport or lust or greed. Yea, he will murder his brother to possess his brother's land. Let him not breed in great numbers, for he will make a desert of his home and yours. Shun him, drive him back into his jungle lair, for he is the harbinger of death. Which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's the best. Dude. So. Because it's right. <laughs> and it's anti progress. And it's, I mean, <laughs> but it's also anti progressivism. If you tie it to the whole rest of the movies, like connection to the civil rights movement and whatever. And it's, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like all of these things, that, that's what's, that's what's so weird about it. Is it, it doesn't like, it doesn't come into it doesn't end up being one cohesive thing it ends up being a thing that's so full of contradictions and cognitive dissonance and issues just like the racism Mm -hmm. exists in all of these different like structures of the movie the apes and the humans but also the gorillas and the like they're just like that like this narrative also applies in like all these weird different ways yeah um then there's lucius who i never really like uh noticed before the kid like I like there's like an interesting choice to have this kid arrive at the end because like he ends up being like this representation of like the next generation or whatever, but also just very fundamentally like what a kid is like, which is to be very rebellious against the the adults and the system and whatever. Mm-hmm. And he like says to he says to Doctor Zayas straight up like why must knowledge stand still? What about the future? Right. Um, and I just, you know, and then they're like, what will he find out there? His destiny. Um, the future is what he finds out there. Yeah. That this was the this future. Also, and there is I want to note that at this point, too, remember, remember that um, Cornelius and Zira are like fugitives, basically. And they make a deal with uh, Dr. Zayas that um, they'll be off the hook if they can prove um, his theory in the cave. But mm-hmm. um, then he says to them that he's not going to make good on that and that they're going to stand trial. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, he's like, sorry, it hurts me as much as it hurts you, but it's what has to happen now. Yeah, I don't... Yeah, yeah, it's what has to happen. So going into Beneath, there are a lot of things about Beneath that are like actually pretty incongruous with the first movie. Okay. In a pretty blatant and obnoxious way. I mean, I don't know how much stuff you noticed or whatever, but um, there's one key difference right off the bat, which is that the year is different, or at least like the instruments say a different year or something. Because when when Charlton Heston, yeah, when uh, Taylor and them land in the first movie, it's supposed to be thirty nine seventy eight. Yeah, they're away from the Earth for like two thousand years. Right, and then. Um, and then in Beneath, they say it's 3955. That's what the astronaut, that's what uh, James Franciscus, what's his name, Brent. Oh, yeah. Um, that's what he says the clock said when they land. 3965? 3955. 55. So, yeah, like a good, like, you know, 20 years or so before <laughs> Taylor landed. But we know that's not the case because Taylor's there and they're, you know. Right, right. Um, so I don't know what the deal with this is, why these dates are different, if that's just a fuck up or it just seems like a weird thing to miss. Yeah. That's a, that's a strange thing to put in intentionally. Yeah. 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 It's very strange. Yeah. I wonder like just the idea 
that the the instruments might be wrong and they yeah, just yeah, I don't mean, know what year it is actually. I mean, that's the easy way to write it off is like, yeah, it's off by, you know, 50 years in whatever direction because they were traveling at the speed of light for maybe different paths or something and that might make sense in some sort of whatever way yeah, but those also are the, those like, are the clock estimates and the apes never say what year it is or anything like that mm-hmm. so yeah i mean i guess i guess it makes just as much sense for it to be kind of all, like 10 years like 20 years off in whatever direction as it makes for it to be exactly the same but yeah i don't know it's weird sure it's a, that's a strange i didn't even notice that I paid attention to the date in the first one, but not in the not in the second. I just assumed it was the same. Mm-hmm. But yeah, what's the main so guy? Getting in, a, a, in a, this a, name, uh, I think his name is Brent. Brent, yeah, yeah. That's he. He is such a knockoff Heston James dude. Franciscus. It's so disappointing. Well, the, I mean, by design, man. Yeah, by looks, design. yeah. Of course, of course. So, but it's so just the like thing, the, the thing about getting into this one is. Um, it's just to say that, uh, yeah, this is important. The first Planet of the Apes was, like, a very big success. Um, I mean, it costs, like, nearly $6 million to make, and it made $33 million or something mm-hmm. at the box office. So, so when it succeeded the way it did, um, it called for a sequel. So the idea of doing a sequel felt campy, felt... You know what I mean? Yeah. That's that was the perception at the time of this type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's how Charlton Heston felt about this, which is um, specifically why he kind of had to be negotiated into being in this movie. Right. Um, he he didn't really want to do it, but he made a deal because he felt he owed the producers and like. And, and whatever, you know, he's like, this, none of this would have happened without you and whatever, so I'll, I'll, be, I'll be there for you. And, and they were like, we can't do this without you, um, Heston. So um, he, he basically came up with this idea that, like, he would be in the beginning of the movie, but then he would immediately die. And then they came back with this counteroffer that he would disappear at the beginning of the movie, but then come back at the end and then die. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the world. But like all all of Charlton all of Charlton Heston's negotiating around his role in this movie and like his creative decisions, including uh, blowing up the bomb at the end, mm-hmm. he gets credit for that. Charlton Heston, Heston literally wanted, yeah, yeah. Nice. Heston like wanted to blow this up, like he wanted to make sure there weren't more sequels. Right, right, right. He, you know what I mean? It's a thing that he wanted to get involved in just to end it. Right. Um, and that is what, like, you know, that's what, uh, preceded, you know, the need to have Franciscus who was cast specifically because of how similar he looks to Heston and whatever. Right. So that they could basically just like recreate the iconography of the first movie again for like most of its running time. Um, and, uh, you know. They got a new director. They got a new writer. The director of this one is Ted Post, um, who did like Magnum Force. Uh, and then the writer is Paul Dane, who at this point had done Goldfinger, he wrote and whatever. So, okay, okay. Kind of part of this world or whatever. But Paul Dane is the writer from this point forward. He writes Escape, he writes Conquest and Battle. Um, 
And then another weird thing that happened in this movie was that Cornelius is not played by Roddy McDowell. It's a different actor, David Watson. Oh, okay. And so that's all. That's all like weird. Um, yeah, they weren't a good part of the, the yeah. apes in this movie were not great. Um, they had really well, yeah, bad makeup that. too. Yeah. Like, was, well, the budget was slashed. You know, this this movie had like a three million budget, so it was like half the budget of the first movie. Right, right. It's just it it seems so bizarre to me that like you would want to just recreate the Planet of the Apes so hardcore, like, so immediately afterwards. You know what I mean? Like, without mm-hmm. building... Yeah, on, like, yeah. I, like, the whole first part of that movie that's just, like, literally, like, there's a crash landing, and then he discovers that there's, like, actually life, and then there's apes, and the, then he meets the people, and he's like, oh, my God, they can't talk. And then he gets captured by the apes and he's put in the thing and he meets Cornelius and like the whole thing until he escapes and then like realizes that it's been Earth the whole time. Like it's literally the same thing with a guy that looks almost exactly the same. (laughs) Like why do it? What is the point like of just having a like half budget worse version of the first movie? Well, the first movie is still like brand new and completely relevant. (laughs) Like You know what I mean? It's not like it's like 20 (laughs) years down the line. They're like, let's really... It's like, ah, oh man, it's so, I guess, I guess it's just like they wanted to sell a sequel yet. and like it would sell a sequel if, as long as it felt like a Planet of the Apes movie. And what is a Planet of the Apes movie? Well, let's just include all of the things that <laughs> are in the first, it's such an uncreative idea. Well, you know? yeah, well, part of the, part of the thing was also that Planet of the Apes was one of the first franchises to really have that huge like marketing tie-in thing going on where there was like action figures and like, you know, like whatever, just tons of merchandise. Yeah. Which, at which point like comic, comic book series by Marvel and whatever, you know, like there's a bunch of shit. At which point like the movie itself is as much of a product as the products that are being sold and blah, blah, blah. And like that sucks. Sure. Yeah. And it Mm -hmm. it feels like, you know, a significant portion of beneath like feels like that it just feels like a knockoff bullshit like simulacrum product of you know made in a boardroom shit it's like yeah well remember when this happened let's just do that and then like remember when this happened let's just do that and it sucks yeah i think i think part of the problem was um like one of the producers mort abrahams like was really the one pushing for this and um and because he couldn't get any of the people who made the first movie involved, he like it was probably just a very like haphazard sort of confused thing, which definitely became get, a little bit more refined. And they just didn't get the creative <clears throat> freedom that they'd need to like actually make a movie. They were just like, no, no, like that didn't happen in the Planet of the Apes. Don't do that. Do it like it happened in the well, first. Well, no, I think. I, I mean, I think I think the problem was that like whatever infrastructure was like there for the first one wasn't there for the second one and more abrahams had to like get it a new one together and it just didn't like come together in the same way i mean there were just like a lot more things up against it obviously like arthur p jacobs was the producer again and was like spearheading the whole thing but he was never the creative you know right so like they couldn't get back they couldn't get franklin j schaffner back because he was working on Patton. They couldn't get Jerry Goldsmith, the composer, back because he was also working on Patton. 
Okay. They, um, oh, sick. That's yeah, why that score is so awesome too. They couldn't. They they couldn't get back the same, you know, uh, writer, and then and so like and also they just had no idea. Like no one, there was no visionary or like you know what I mean. They 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 initially had some kind of property, which was the original Planet of the Apes source material. And so, like, our, our Jacobs was able to hire, like, Rod Serling to adapt that. And it's like there was something to work with there, you know what I mean? But at this point, it's kind of like, well, we have all these scrapped ideas <clears throat> from the first movie, and um, we can't exactly get our lead actor back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's just, like, more things stacked up against it, so... I think it's one of those things where they like they were trying their best, and it's not like there were actually things in their way, except that they just didn't have like the ideas or or the person to come up with it. Like Paul Dane, obviously went on to write like some really great scripts for Planet of the Apes, like Escape right. and and uh, Conquest are incredible, and Paul Dane is to is to be given credit for that. But I think because this is the first one that he was brought on to and he was sharing story credits with a producer, Mort Abrahams. It was probably just a more messy affair where they just like were, he was just trying his best to hobble together a bunch of ideas that were like half formed and whatever, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And they have half the budget and whatnot. Yeah. I I think, I think in, in the writing in this one, like the morality play stuff just like doesn't feel I don't know. It just feels so obvious. Just like the apes, just like trying to build this military and do this thing. And then the other guys like the, the fucking, the, the, um, chimpanzees protesting the war and shit is just like such a on the nose commentary that just like sucks compared to like the crazy cognitive dissonance and shit that the first one came up with. Um, Yeah, and it has, and, like, very obvious Vietnam parallel parallels because that's what's going on yeah, at the exactly. time. You have, like, the protesting apes and whatever. But it's, like, such a kind of one-dimensional look at all of that compared to, like, all of those weird contradictions of the first. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, then yeah. I think it's that... It's very one-dimensional. Yeah. I think that, you know, the shit that's cool about this movie is all the stuff with the humans. Um it's like I kind of I kind of don't really like it <laughs> because it's like so unpleasant. Yeah, it's really unpleasant. <laughs> yeah, it's like really <laughs> like horrible and gross and scary and but but like it is a crazy thing to add to this franchise. It's like another race of humans. Like I kind of think I like I don't know. I don't know if I even really like it. <laughs> you know, like I don't know if I if I think that yeah. it's a good addition to the franchise because it's like to me. That's what I'm saying. Like, I watched these movies so many times when I was a like, kid that it's just like, that's just what Planet of the Apes is. Is like, it involves this. Um, but I don't know. I just think visually and aesthetically, like, the idea of these people praising this bomb and, like, taking off their masks to, like, praise the bomb and that kind of being the, you know, the, the development of humanity's intellect and whatever um, in this future is it's been, you know, warped by nuclear radiation for 2000 years or blah, blah, blah. like that, that and like, and the idea of the way that the world ends being that sort of, you know, 
such it's like that's such a whimper (laughs) you know what i mean it's like yeah it's a bang but it's like so many years after the real bang for no reason because like 20 guys wandered into the wrong room like you know or 20 apes but it's so anticlimactic but like also like i don't know you know what i mean it's a depressing ending it's not like a glorious blaze of fire it's like just kind of gross it's very depressing yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, really, like, what I was saying this last time was just, like, it, like, I mean, the, the the scene where they just all decide, it's like, yeah, no, they're going to come and they're going to find an empty city. Everyone go back to your homes and, like, they'll find us all dead. <laughs> it's just like, wait, what? That's, that's how humanity is going to end it? Like, th- just a suicide well, cult? Well, like, praising the bomb? And well, then their like, weapons of peace didn't work. It's so, it's so gross. Like, oh, yeah, their weapons of peace don't work against the savage apes and whatever, like, because they don't understand yeah, yeah, the yeah. thing. Like, I, I really just don't, yeah, I really don't like any of it, to be honest. <laughs> like, I, um, I mean, there's, there's a part of me that wants to be like, well, this is the only thing in this movie that's different or new or like it's doing something. And it is like incredibly dark and cynical. And this whole like mass suicide cult thing is really like, haunting and eerie especially you know since it comes years before the jim jones thing and whatever yeah yeah yeah. Um, but like i I just i kind of hate the idea of these telepathic mutants and i think it's so just like this movie just like it's like it needed um something that was like new or shocking and that's just what they went with you know whereas yeah. like because nothing else in the movie was new or like really pushing it forward yeah, yeah, yeah it was trying to like retread the whole thing just to reestablish a new tailor so that they can then move forward into this other idea um but, but then that idea is so just like all right yeah there won't be a battle we'll just all kill ourselves <laughs> it's like wait what <laughs> That's where you, and that to me is like, part of it is like, I just, I think that part of the thing to me of what Planet of the Apes is, is this like really cynical, subversive, depressing, even (laughs) like view of humanity. And like that just as like, just iconography of man, like the, the, the idea of that, that suicide death cult, the way that they fight as like, just like it was a it was a weapon of peace and blah 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 whatever then they're like oh wait they're coming fine let's let's kill ourselves <laughs> like it's so like depressingly dark and like they totally go for it in a way that like that's kind of a very planet of the apes thing to me like i don't know what other franchise you could put something like that in and have it kind of like not like i mean I don't know, fit. Like, it, it, not that it really does fit, and I think that I, I kind of agree with you. Like, I kind of hate all of it. Um, partly because it's just so not fun, like, to watch, and I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I also, also, I like, also it's, do it's just, like the idea of, like, yeah, it is. It is gross, and I like the idea that it's, like, what this all leads to in the, like, meta-franchise, like, concept of the Planet of the Apes that, that comes out more even so after this movie than in this movie um it kind of starts more in escape mm. but uh i do like the that idea the that like the, the world ends <laughs> that way like that it's like we actually see the entirety of the world thing like it ends in this like yeah 2000 and 
you know, 80 years in the future um, in this really depressing way that Taylor's there for. And like he actually does push the thing. It's like, that's, that's a crazy like moment that like iconography wise, like just fits for me. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it does iconography-wise. It's really, like, I just wish it was better in execution and, and that, like, any of it made sense. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, like here's, um, like, one of the things is just, like, the whole way this movie begins, right, is, like, they completely repeat and replay the ending of the first one. Right. Um, and then they have, like... Heston going out into the desert with uh, Nova um, and Taylor and Nova are sitting around and he's like actually like doesn't seem super distraught like right off the bat it just feels like tonally off like yeah the fact that Taylor wouldn't wouldn't already be trying to just like kill himself or something right but they kind of go with this they kind of go with this thing that he's like entertaining the idea of like starting a family with Nova right Right. And that he's like, and, and the kids will talk and whatever. Yeah. Um, but then get caught in the, like the, the storms of illusions, which look like garbage. Yeah. And like immediately set the tone that this movie is cheaper. Yeah. And like whatever. And not to be taken as seriously. Like it immediately brings it down to the level of like B movie. It's a Star Trek episode. Um, it's a Star Trek episode. Sequel, which is kind Star of what Trek the movie shit. is. Yeah, exactly. Like, but. Well, a Twilight like, I feel like, episode. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, I feel like that 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 sinister-looking redhead girl. I feel like who's also in um, Escape and stuff. I feel like she's probably on Star Trek, too. You know what I mean? I feel like I've mm-hmm. seen her in like Star Trek clothes. A redhead isn't? Are you talking about the mutant, the blonde mutant? Yeah, the blonde mutant who's also um, the blonde doctor in Escape, or not doctor, okay. but like their, their friend also... or publicist, whatever, whatever she is. Mm-hmm. No, no, she's the doctor. She's, yeah, the blonde mutant, and then she's the doctor in Escape. Yeah, and, and then, then she's, she's Lisa. Oh, Matthew, is that Lisa what she is? Ape. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Because I was wondering, I, I, I conquest and battle. And then what is she in battle? She's Lisa again. Oh, she's Lisa. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Battle. She's she's Caesar's she's, yeah. she's Caesar's squeeze. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's that's, like, um, so she doesn't have a name in the original like, Conquest, right? Like, or no, she does. She, no, does. she does. She always has a name. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. She's Lisa. But she doesn't really feel like but a character as much as she does when they put her in the end like that. But Yeah, that's Natalie Trundy. That's um, uh, Arthur P. Jacobs' wife. Okay, okay. She was so game, um, dude. It's great. You took all yeah, that shit she, seriously. She was game. In all, in all four of them. Yeah. Roddy McDowell is the only other one who's been in four of them. Yep. Yep. Um, but, but, yeah. Um, so like, she, she, but, but there's like, this cheap thing. <clears throat> her, her suicide scene, man. Like, she, she's, that's like the apes coming in and just finding her dead in a bathtub. Like, like a fucking, mm. you know, like in the virgin suicides or something. Like a Lisbon sister or something. You know what I mean? It's just like so. Yeah, yeah. 
depressing, dude. It's like, that is actually, like, the only thing that I could compare it to is, like, that end of the Virgin Suicides thing, where they're just, like, running through the house. It's like, oh, my God, what the fuck? Like, this is, that's what we, like, that's what we decided to be, the end of the world for the Planet of the Apes franchise. It's just, like, going through, just like, holy shit, they, like, they just, what, they killed themselves? Okay, let's knock down this fucking bomb. <laughs> it's over. It's like, what? <clears throat> just, ugh. It's so gross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that it's kind of amazing. Like, I think that part of it, after, you know, a whole a whole garbage movie and, like, all of these, you know, bad oh, yeah. decisions. Which I'm, getting, which, I'm, which I'm getting into, yeah, yeah, going yeah. back to the beginning of why this one, like, just doesn't really make any sense, is that, like, you kind of you'd kind of think that, like, Taylor's death wish, in a way, would make sense after the um, Statue of Liberty thing. And, like, maybe Heston's idea of him dying right in the beginning would have just, like, worked a lot better. Um, but instead there's this thing where he flirts with like maybe having a new life with Nova, but then he falls into that illusion or whatever. And then I guess is like captive by the mutants for the whole movie, but you don't like see him until the end when, uh, when Brent shows up and gets thrown in the same cage. Right. And then it immediately becomes, and then like, yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, I guess, like, we already know that, like, after Charlton Heston disappears, we're basically going through a retread of, like, the first movie with uh, James Franciscus instead. Um, and it's just such a pale imitation. But then also, like, doesn't really feel like it actually acknowledges anything that happened in the first one and its world building in a complex way. Like, this whole thing of uh, the gorillas rising up like, you would kind of think the reason this was happening is because, like, the humans have been a problem and, like, Taylor just escapes or something mm-hmm. and that they need to go find him. But, like, the reason they're going into the Forbidden Zone is because of the manifestations. It's just because of, like, scout parties that have gone out there and, like, not returned and then the one that did, like, reported seeing, like, fire in the air and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And they're just, like, going out there to investigate these manifestations because they believe they're, like, evidence of other life out there. And, like, but, like, it's, 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 it's like, really... Well, Zayas would have fucking, like, quelled that pretty quick in the first one. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, like, yeah, like, no, let's not. Actually, but then, but it, but it also has to do with the fact that, like, they're running out of food reserves or something. Like... And then, like, so, like, the the other thing General Ursus says is, like, well, if there's humans out there, there's food out there. So we're going to go conquer, take their land. And then we'll have, like, more land to grow food and whatever because apparently there's an oncoming famine uh, all of a sudden. Uh, so, like, there's, a there's like, a threat of a famine. Right. And then there's these manifestations out in the desert. And they're going out there to hopefully conquer land. And they don't really know what's out there. And they're doing this against the sacred scrolls, I guess, which right. was never really brought up by Dr. Zayas. Although Dr. Zayas doesn't seem to be with any of it at all. He's, like, barely saying anything. Always kind of has his, like, hands, head in his hands. Mm-hmm. And um, he even kind of sides with Zira and Cornelius. Like, the only scene they have together, Dr. Zayas shows up, and it's like nothing in the first movie actually happened. Right, right, what right. happened to the trial right. that they were going to stand right. for their like heresy and right. the shit? Like none none of that happened. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like he just 
he just shows up and he's like, you guys need to take control of the administration while I'm gone because I'm going into the forbidden zone with general Ursus. Right. Like, and then he like kind of agrees with her that it's like militaristic tripe and that it's all like, it doesn't make any fucking sense yeah. at all. Like doesn't align at all with like anything that the first one left us with. Like in almost every fundamental way, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like just kind of like it's like it's almost like it's ten years later or something, and all like a ton of shits happened, but now we're here. But that doesn't make sense because, like, Taylor wasn't just like traveling through the desert for ten years, or right. like he didn't get like held hostage in this fucking mutant. You know what I mean? Like, like I don't know. And there is the difference in time on the clock, but that doesn't make sense either because their clock is like twenty years earlier than when Taylor arrived or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. It just doesn't really make any sense. There's not really like a acknowledgement of the consequences of the first movie or anything, which just feels like really. No, it's all, the other like, thing is like, what about this it, fucking like, search party? <laughs> like, what is this guy? What is this Brett guy yeah, up to? Yeah. Like, you're what going to, first of all, he's not looking for the three astronauts. I mean, he's looking for, for, uh, Taylor, Taylor and the other two, <laughs> or, or if there are any others, and it's like no, they're dead. Like yeah, there wasn't there wasn't a woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like I don't know. Yeah, no, they, it doesn't. Yeah, he's, really he's just like looking for Taylor. Either. He it's knows like, yeah, Taylor we, really well by like you know, and when he shows up, Taylor knows him really well. He's like, oh, you're Brent. <laughs> like what? Why? Like you, mm-hmm. you don't you don't care about fucking astronauts, dude? Like what is like how did this all you know? It's not. Yeah, it undoes a lot of the good stuff with the first one. Yeah, it doesn't make sense that he would just be like, oh, you're Brent. I mean, he's seeing a fellow human, a fellow astronaut. I guess that would be just like baseline exciting at that point. But but right. then, yeah, so then it gets and then then it just gets into this really disturbing shit where these telepaths like can get into your mind and make you kill each other and like scenes of james franciscus like choking uh nova and drowning her in a pool of water or like making out with her while strangling her or like and her just like her dealing with that is so fucked up dude (laughs) you know what i mean yeah she's just like because it's like like, barely look at you anymore (laughs) yeah but like she's also still completely reliant on him and whatever like it's like it's horrible it's horrible dude it's like a really horrible thing to depict where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, like he's just making out with and strangling her and then can't tell her what's going on. She doesn't really seem to know what's going on, except that it's like, oh, I guess this person hurts me sometimes. And it's like, that's horrible, dude. It's, I don't know. It's a really gross part of this movie. Yeah. That, like, just along with the suicide of these people and all that. Like, it's like, it's really, ugh. Yeah, their torture is really bad. It's like way worse than, I don't know some sort of whipping or whatever. It's like, oh, you have to sexually assault this woman that, like, you've kind of, you know, been, I don't know, at least relying on. Yeah, I mean, I think that might be the one really interesting thing about this movie is the idea of the weapons of peace being, like, worse. That's, like, what the bomb represents, too, is that there's, like, nothing more terrible than the bomb, but 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 it's a weapon of peace because it, like, creates the like like we were talking about in Oppenheimer just the environment that necessitates peace because no one wants to drop it right you know? right and so really what um, it is is a PR war or whatever with like false yeah, like yeah. flames and whatever people. that are you're manipulating people's minds and you know 
that sort of thing and then controlling what they do to each other because of the way that you like that's you know it's an interesting idea i get what like and i i think that you know it is it's a planet of the apes movie you know <laughs> it, it is um but it's just those ideas don't jive with the first one like very well at all and i think that that part of this feels like that this one was written like you're saying haphazardly or whatever as a sequel or something whereas when you get to like escape and conquest and battle like or at least escape and conquest like it feels like they were written at with like a larger thing in mind you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um it doesn't feel the same way where it's just like trying to get to i don't know like a one-off um it's it's actually contributing to a franchise that it then takes seriously after that point, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. But like you were saying, I guess, like, this movie was trying to kill the franchise, right? Like, that's that was Charlton Heston's, <laughs> like, motivation in doing this, right? He certainly tried, yeah. but did not succeed. Yeah, but that's... I don't know. There were... There are definitely things to like about... Um, beneath you know yeah, yeah yeah nova's nova's outfit has far larger holes in it this time yeah yeah much like more that, midriff um, i like much more midriff in this one like i do like this the zero cornelius scene where like she's being racist against gorillas because that is in this movie and sort of forms that thing about her character right um and like cornelius says a good line he says um that if if we had that power, we'd be worse than them. And uh, she doesn't agree, but I kind of agree with Cornelius. I think mm-hmm. he's right about that. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> um, she just straight up, straight up says, like, gorillas are cruel because they're stupid. <laughs> it's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, then she's like, but then she, like, mistakes Brent for Taylor, as I said before, and she's super condescending with Brent and stuff. Um Dr. Z, like, uh, kind of blatantly solidifies his position again in this movie. So it's not as, like, smart as the first movie. But he, like, says, I like that he tries to maintain our innocence. Um, And he says, is innocence so evil? And Zero says, ignorance is. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what the gorillas are representing, uh, the, the warring, you know, fascistic. Yeah, the warring. You know, love of war. But that is true. That was, like Dr. Ursus represents what uh, Taylor represents and that expansion into the new territory and finding like another, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And that, that the first movie did that as a human versus ape divide. And this movie's doing that as a ape versus ape divide, I guess, with these humans as mm-hmm. this like weird, higher, more depressing power, <laughs> you know? I mean, James Francisco, Brent and Taylor are almost like irrelevant. It's more about the mutants, yeah. I just don't know if I love the mutants or what they represent at all, or how they like how their existence yeah, colors I'm, the first one. I'm not a big fan of the the idea of telepathic, uh, you know, folks who just start talking with no mouth movement. Like I don't know, it's not really. <laughs> and go beep. It feels beep. like a Star Trek episode, <laughs> but the, the the beep thing is does, pretty irritating, yeah. and that it's it's somewhat successful. <laughs> at, you know, I I, I do like yeah, parts of that. Sure. Um, 
but mm-hmm. yeah, it doesn't it doesn't feel like a great you know visual concept to have people just communicating telepathically. It's like, all right, well, we're just watching a bunch of people just staring, like standing still with no mouth movements, <laughs> like, and him just like mm-hmm. answering nothing. Like, I don't know, it's weird. It's not not that cinematic. Yeah, yeah. but mm-hmm. parts of it kind of work, I guess. But yeah, I think yeah. that I think that what's actually interesting is like how you know this movie failed to kill this franchise. <laughs> if that was if that was Charlton Heston's plan, <laughs> like, and they ended the world like as clearly as they possibly could, uh, mm-hmm. that they still couldn't still couldn't kill these apes. Yeah, they could not. Um, yeah. So what else? I noticed one thing that was uh, interesting was. When um, the when uh, Brent is being taken in by the mutants, the mutants are like watching it through like a telepathic screen. I don't even know what the hell it is. Um, but there's like kids playing Ring Around the Rosie. But okay. They're doing it like really, really slow. It's like very eerie. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, I don't know. That was a weird detail. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I like the horse falls in this movie. Yeah. There's a couple pretty epic pretty horse falls. Yeah, yeah. You don't see those too much anymore. Probably some dead horses. Maybe maybe it's a human with a concussion. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There's not too much more to say about this movie, I guess. I, um... I think a lot of the things that are interesting about it or, like, that you could point out as details at this point are like things that kind of were already done in the first movie better. And, uh, it's kind of hard to, yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's really a shame. It's kind of a shame that, um, beneath is the way it is, but also in some ways, if it wasn't the way it is, we might not have escape or conquest. So not exactly. Exactly. You know, the second movie in these franchises generally generally have, you know, some sort of problems they have to overcome. It's like Die Hard 2. The franchise franchise was still not a really mastered thing. A lot of the times the franchise would be especially something that wouldn't always attempt to continue the story, especially something like James Bond. It's it's more like a TV show. It's episodic. Godzilla, it's more episodic. There's not really like... I don't think the, I don't think um, at this point in time there were really any great successes of making a highly successful and critically acclaimed movie and then doing a follow up to it that actually like anyone could take seriously, you know. Right. Um, but this movie made money. Um, <laughs> yeah. Beneath the Planet of the Apes made like a decent amount of money. It was a success. So. Because of that, it begat a third one, um, which is awesome. But I do think the like the writing hole they dug themselves into was a deep one, and I think it is somewhat hard to buy the initial conceit of Escape from uh, from the Planet of the Apes. I mean, the 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 idea that Cornelius and Zira and their friend Doctor Milo would like pull <clears throat> Charlton Heston, uh, Taylor's ship out of the water and, you know, rebuild it and fly it into the atmosphere all before 
the ending of Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Like, were they doing that the whole time? You know what I mean? It's just, it's a very, like, big stretch kind of concept that, like, you just have to take for granted and accept. Otherwise, it's kind of like, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I saw no evidence of that happening uh, in Beneath the Planet of the Apes. It'd be sick if it was. Be sick if like there oh, was yeah. you know It'd be awesome if like you know there was like a yeah if like there were like tiny little like, hints basement or whatever <laughs> yeah if you just like saw Doctor Marlow in the background just being like yeah could I I need to get that crane like uh, Thursday <laughs> Is that, could I could I borrow that crane yeah, I need yeah. to pull something big out of the bottom of the ocean I'm just being like shut the fuck up Milo yeah mm-hmm. you can get the crane like we're we're dealing with this <laughs> and then the next yeah but now no it's it's not the case. It was not thought through. It was a bullshit thrown in idea. Some bullshit bullshit. But here, I'm going to smoke again real quick. You want to uh, let it run and shit? 